Ty, last week we had an introduction to this book, and uh, today we're going to just have an overview of what we're going to be covering. Uh, so the book of Malachi, and hopefully we can get this PowerPoint running. It's been, oh, there it is. It's been a little cranky this morning. Um, so, and every time I get onto my computer or my smartphone, or we did a funeral on, on uh, Friday, and thank you guys for your prayers at a funeral on Friday and yesterday, and both of those funerals were for believers, uh, so it was a, a joy to be able to share uh, God's love and his promises with a lot of folks. But the poor guy was up there trying to sing a solo and his iPad kept giving out on him. And every time that stuff happens, I think about these self-driving cars that they want to have us drive. I can't get a computer to run constantly. I ain't driving a car for me, no way. You know, wrap myself around a pole. Anyway, all right. So we're going to, by way of review, look at a couple of things. Now remember, one of the things we spoke about last week and... Um, we were just reading it. If you kind of read ahead where Dan was in 1 Timothy, it ta- talks about, now unto the king, immortal, eternal, invisible, that in this world around us, there's so many distractions in this temporal, physical world that we as Christians need to have our eyes open to the things that we cannot see. Amen? That there's an almighty God who is sovereign over this planet. He is still moving. He is still working. He is still accomplishing his will. And we as believers need to understand and see that. We can easily be distracted by the stuff that's going on around us and forget this world's not my home. Just passing through. Okay? And we just talk about when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When those clouds are finally broken, I'm going to be home with my Savior in that mansion he's prepared for me. What a joy to understand that. And we need as Christians to be able to glorify and praise God for the things we know are there but we can't see. And how, what, you know, Paul talks about, listen, you know, blessed are those who saw and have faith. But how much better is the faith for those who can't see? but still believe, okay? And that's where we need to focus, and that's what we were talking about. But we talked about the fact that the word, the name Malachi means my messenger, okay? And we ended last week reminding ourselves of how important is the message that you and I have to bring. And we used the illustration about Philippides and the the marathon and that he ran to tell, deliver the message to Athens and dropped dead after running 26 miles straight. And I made mention that I'd probably drop dead after running one mile, okay? But uh, because he had an important message, he gave his entire life to do it, okay? Is that the kind of message? So we've looked at these things. Malachi means messenger or ambassador, uh, and God's messenger is one of the themes here. Over and over, we saw five different messengers, that the priests were messengers, that John the Baptist, that Moses, that Elijah, all these people are referenced as messengers in the book of Malachi. But the issue is, what is the message we're going to bring? And we talked about the fact uh, that God is still speaking. God wants to get a hold of you every single day and communicate with you. And if we don't have a message to bring... How can we bring it? If you're not sitting and speaking with God and talking to him and have a relationship with him, again, if the president called today and said, I want to meet with you because we have an important message I want you to bring as an ambassador. And no thanks, I've got other things to do. Okay, well, in this political realm, who knows what you might decide. But you know what? If you have an important message, you go get the message 
Okay, and that's the theme. That's what we're talking about. Well, today we're looking into something a little different in this book. Because if you've ever read the book of Malachi, there's some serious business that God talks about. And Brother Dan in Sunday school this morning just reminded us of the Apostle Paul sharing about the law and about some of the areas in which God expects a higher standard from God's people. Okay, that it's not based upon our like, and I like that, Dan, I had read that. In, I have a couple of Steve Farrar books about scuba diving in a, in a, in a cesspool or, a, you know, that was really good. All right, next slide. So today, we're going to look at what makes God upset. What gets God angry? Okay, and we're going to be looking at that today because the book of Malachi, God lays out some uh, areas in which he is displeased with what is going on. Now, one of the reasons I went to this book right after the book of Leviticus is the book of Leviticus was about the book of the priesthood. It instructed through all those chapters on what God wants his priests to accomplish, what his followers should do. Well, the book of Malachi, which is in this really dark time in Israel, and it's just before this 400 years of silence before Messiah comes, that God still expects his priests to act a certain way, but he's not seeing that. And so he lays out a couple of, uh, couple of areas in our lives where we need to be aware of. Okay, and what's a couple of things that makes him unhappy. So tighten up your belt, curl up your toes, because some of the stuff that we're going to talk about is God saying, all right, are you really serious? about serving me because if you are there's some things we need to bring up front we need to evaluate and so as we're going on we're going to look at a few things here number one is uh god doesn't like crooked priests okay and that's part of the problem we talk about the priesthood but when we get to the book of malachi the book of malachi says um some of you guys are corrupt some of you guys got some problems so let's look at a few verses here together but before we do so let's pray Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. And Lord, Christianity, living for Jehovah God and representing our Savior Jesus Christ in this world, is not a game. Lord, it's not a fly-by-night, casual kind of lifestyle, Father. It is something that you want us to live according to your word. Lord, reflecting our Savior, taking on the name of Christ as a Christian, Christ-like one. Father, there is areas of our lives you would like to see us reflect who you are. And Father, here in this book of Malachi, you point out some things in your word where believers were lacking. And Lord... Uh, I just pray it would help us to understand that you're serious about this. This can't be a fly-by-night kind of life. Lord, you want us to take your name seriously and not take it in vain. If we are a Christian, a Christ-like one, a follower of Jehovah God, then our lives ought to show that. And so, Father, thank you uh, for what we'll see today. Give us clarity. Holy Spirit, be with us. Teach us what we need. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, notice uh, chapter 2, verse 7. Tap, chapter 2 and verse 7, God gives us a kind of an idea of what priests should be. And look what it says. For the priest's lips 
should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. And we just talked about this. And man, if I could play the last two minutes of Dan's Sunday school, okay, this morning, where he talks about our job here on this earth is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a message, okay? And he's saying here, man, listen, the priests should be in constant contact with God. Their lips should be full of the message, which and I hope that's us. Man, there's a lot of things to talk about. Man, there's a lot of things to talk about. I can start talking about politics, and I bet you we could be here for a couple hours just chit-chatting about it. But we have a message to, li- to deliver from God. What is that message? Okay, and I hope that's the focus here. But this is God's goal. This is the, what he wants to see out of the priests. But look, if you would, to the next verse I have lit- written. Look at verse eight because this is what was happening in real life but ye are departed out of the way ye have caused many to stumble at the law and have corrupted the covenant of levi saith the lord of hosts god says listen um you're supposed to be close to me and be my messengers but you've corrupted okay and we can see that today. Um, God's priests have walked away from his word. Okay, but now, before we go any further, hit the next slide. Because again, I know what our thoughts are, and I can name off uh, televangelists right now and stuff. I, I happen to, if you ever come across a website or a television show called Wretched, it's actually a pretty good show. It's, it's, it, he does a good job breaking down God's word. But it talked about a lot of the leaders in christianity out there today who have gone away from god's word okay and some of the shenanigans and many of them are out there and guys we've known this because they want to fill their pockets i need you to donate to me a thousand dollars today you donate a thousand dollars to our ministry and i'll tell you what god's going to bless you he will give you all that you need but that thousand dollars is a goal if you can listen We have to remember, though, that God's priests are not just leaders. He expects that out of it. But we've said this many times through the book of Leviticus, so I hope you know the answer to this. If not, I'm going to beat you with a wet noodle. Okay? Who are priests? We are priests. Okay, you can look it up later. we hit this. Go ahead. Okay, there are a lot of crooked leaders out in in this Christianity. I'll, I'll... rather sometimes use the word christendom okay not necessarily christianity but the whole world that that recognizes christ somewhere in their religion that there's a lot of crooked leaders but first peter chapter five uh, chapter two verse five and nine reminds us that we are a peculiar people that we are his priests you and i now we no longer need another human as a go-between we have one mediator, and that's the, Jesus Christ himself. I don't have to go find a priest. I am a priest. And if you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, you are a priest. So, warning number one, red flag, light on the dashboard. God doesn't want crooked priests. God wants priests that are not going to drift from his word, but stay true to it. It's a good reminder. That's something that irritates God. 
It's something that upsets him. It's something that makes him angry. And we'll look at that again. This is overview. As we get to these verses, we will be breaking them down. All right. Next slide talks about the fact that uh, he doesn't like fake Christians. We just dealt with this a couple weeks ago in Sunday school. We're going to look at it again today just briefly. God wants real, genuine people. Uh, if you've been in the faith for any time and t- attended church for a lot of times, you've seen them. One of the problems, and I don't want to say seen them, I've been them. You know, I've known a couple of Christians in my life, and they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Why? Because they say one thing, but they do completely opposite. They may show up in church on one day a week and look all pious and pretty, but the other six days of the week, it's not real. We need to be honest to goodness, real, truthful believers. Okay, a couple of verses. I wrote them up here. Number one, there are two areas that we see in God's Word. One of them we just went over last week or two weeks ago with Dan. Okay, you can fake your faith. Did you know that? It talks about having faith unfeigned. That means real, sincere, honest. That if we're not careful, it is easy to put up a fake faith. And now again, um, Dan said this amazing thing this morning that where Paul was making a statement generally. I'm not going to name anybody in particular, but I have known Christians who have a fake faith. But when you really boil down to it, there have been members of the very church who spent time here for years and wound up later on getting saved, even being in leadership positions. But their faith wasn't real. It was a put-on. God says, listen, don't do that. There's a couple of things that make God upset. Number one is crooked priests. You better stick to the word of God and stay close and be ready to deliver the message that he sent. Number two, don't fake it. Please don't fake it. And there's a lot of other verses we can talk about sincerity of our faith and things like that. But two specific ones is this faith unfeigned. Go to the next slide. In chapter 2 of Timothy, which I'm sure we'll be getting there real soon, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, not fake, but real, not something that was put on. He doesn't like fake Christians. Makes him upset. Now you say, Pastor, we got... We're going to study this through in this book. Again, we're hitting highlights here, or at this point, maybe lowlights. All right? Next thing, God says you can fake love. I don't know about you, I've seen this many times. Oh, it's so good to see you, brother. It's so wonderful. You're so good. Put on that nice churchy face. You bump into them some other place in the world, and they are absolutely nothing like that. Okay, there's a brother I know, and church leader for many years and bumped into one of his neighbors once and i said oh you live right next door to so-and-so he goes to our church a leader and he said goes to church man i wouldn't even believe he believed in god at all put on a nice face at church but the rest of his his absolute next door neighbor wouldn't even believe that they were a christian Is it real? Or is it just something we put on? Love, it says that by knowledge, 
long-suffering by kindness, and love unfeigned. You can fake it. Look at the next verse down, 1 Peter chapter 1, 22. Talks about that of your souls obeying the truth in the spirit with unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Now I'll be honest with you. There's been a couple of times where I find Christians a little hard to deal with. No. Come on, we all just like each other so much. We don't have personalities that rub each other the wrong way, right? We just... We, Oh, stop it. Okay. And sometimes you got to put on that lovey, happy, smiley face. Oh, I love you so much. Listen, I understand that we're not all easy to get along with. I mean, nobody has a perfect personality like me. Okay, you get the point. Don't fake it, please, because you know what? People can see right through that. We need to have real, true, honest love. And you know what I like about our Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, when he came and he was the walking, talking display of God's love on this planet, he didn't just go to the synagogue once a week and hang out with a bunch of religious folks. I think it's this side of the church that does that clicking. I'm over here, it doesn't do it. Okay. Jesus spent time out where people were, in the streets, in real life, reaching out to those who were hurting. He knew how to display real love. Real Christian, unfeigned, honest, genuine, sincere Christian love. Not put on. And boy, we need that today because there are a lot of unlovable people in this world. People that I'd like to grab hold of them and give them a smack. But that's not what God wants from us. He wants us to display. Listen, as much as I say I'd like to give him a smack, I'm standing here going, Lord, I'm glad you're not smacking me because it would never stop. Because I'm just as bad as anybody else. We heard this morning, again, Dan reminded us that Paul says, listen, of a sinner of whom I am chief. We ought to be able to reflect God's love because we know what it is to experience God's love for real. I think the Lord that every day I mess up and every day my father still loves me. Not fake love, real love. So he says, listen, don't be a crooked priest. Number two, don't be a fake Christian. Next one, don't be a back-talking believer. Now, we're going to see this a little bit more and more in this chapter, and it makes me laugh. Um, how many of you have uh, par parented teenagers before? Okay. How many of you have, have teenagers presently? Okay. I, it reminds me of this. I mean, my kids are old enough now that those days are drifting off in my memory, but I could still hear some of this thing. So God's Word says a couple things here. Two phrases that continue replete. It's, God says, here's what you, you've done. And they say, what do you mean that's what we've done? Yeah, you say that. And then the second phrase we're going to see, it says, well, prove it. Wherein have we done that? You say we've done that, but where? I was, boy, I talk about back-talking. Man, got a lot of nerve with God to do that. Okay, just right. But I tell you what, God can't stand this, and he spends a good majority of this book talking about 
what they're not doing and listening to them say, well, yeah, well that's what you say. God don't like back talk. Telling you. So let's look at a couple of these together. Just an overview on it to let us know where we're headed. Next slide says, our whole society has been focused on this recently. Starts with talk radio. You get on talk radio and you can complain and talk back and talk about what you don't like and what should be done different and everything else. Oh, you say it should be this way, but what do you mean? Okay, and now look at Twitter or Facebook or anything. It's just venues for people to vent that they don't like your opinion. They don't like what you say. And that we, you don't have to make me do Listen, we talked today, this morning, and we're reminded again today that God has a law. It is not to be questioned. It is not to be disobeyed. God has a specific structure. He has a moral code, and there are certain things that violate it. No questions asked. And when you do, God gets upset with that. All right, and in our culture, I'm telling you, both Sunday school and this morning is dealing with God has a standard. Don't talk back about it. Just obey. All right, so we're going to look a few things as we go down here. Number one. So God lays out the problems. Now, I want to read these to you just as an overview. We will cover them in the next few weeks. But I want you to see, number one, that God says, uh, you've forgotten how much I love you. Verse, one, verse uh, 2 and 3, look if you would with me. I love you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? There we go. Oh, really? Well, I'll prove it back talking keep going was not esau jacob's brother saith the lord yet i love jacob and hated esau and laid his mountains and his heritage to waste for the dragons of the wilderness and we'll cover that god says listen you've forgotten that i've loved you Uh, what do you mean you loved us man back talking next one we despise his name look what it says in verse six A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be your father, where is mine honor? If I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts unto you. Look at verse, uh, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? God says we got a problem. You despise my name. We're taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And again, a reminder, so many times that's brought, boiled down to cussing, using profanity. That is not the foundation of this word. The doctrine behind this is if you're going to call yourself one of God's, you better act like one of God's. If you're going to wear the name Christian, Christian, well then act like Christ. He says, you've despised my name. Well, what do you mean we despise your name? Prove it. And you hear the back talking going on here? It's crazy. All right, God says number three. You'll offer less than your best. Look at chapter 1, verse 7 through 8. Through, uh, yeah, 7 and 8. Ye offer polluted bread on my altar, and ye say, wherein have we offered polluted, uh, polluted to thee? In that ye say that the table of the Lord is contemptible. If you offer the blind for a sacrifice... Is it not evil? Or if you offer lame or sick, is it not evil? 
offer that now to thy governor, and will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? God says, you're not giving your best. Try that with the government and see what, how, far, how quick the IRS will be on your case. God says, you're not offering me your best. What do you mean I'm not offering? You see, it's crazy. This sounds like a bunch of teenagers. Anyway, number four, you have a complaining spirit. Look at verse 12, chapter 1. But ye have profaned it in that ye say the table of the Lord is... Uh, is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat is contemptible. And uh, ye said also, Behold, what a weariness it is. And I have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. Ye have brought which was torn, and lame, and sick, thus brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hands, off your hands, uh, of your hands, saith the Lord? Meaning, just griping. What do you mean it's not good enough? I like this phrase here. He says, uh, where is it? Um, what a weariness it is. Oh, we have to give an offering to the Lord. <sighs> this is such a pain. Just complaining and griping. God says, got some issues with you guys. I'm laying out some problems. Number five, breaking the covenant of marriage. Whew. I wonder if that one applies to today. Look what he says, chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. Ye say, whereof, because the Lord hath been a witness to thee in the wife of thy youth, against whom ye have dealt treacherously, that is, uh, yet is she thy companion, the wife of thy covenant, and did not he make one? Yet he hath, uh, he hath the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one. Meaning God made this thing one. Please don't forget that. That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, thy, the, for the, Lord the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth with violence his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. Derek and I were talking about this the other day, that there are some versions of the scripture who take this word, this phrase out of there, that God hates divorce. It's still something that's true. We've gotten to a culture now where it's so regular that we find it. God doesn't like it. Okay? Now, please, file that with the rest of it. What sin does God like? None. So does that mean God can never use a person? Or God, you can't move forward in your life if that happened? No, of course not. If you lie, does that cancel out God's use for you for the rest of your life? If you get divorced, does that cancel? If you... God is a forgiver, but I want it to be understood. Just because we've moved forward in our cultural understanding, God still hates divorce. Why? Because God is a God, when he makes a promise, when he makes a commitment, when he makes a covenant, he keeps his covenants. He keeps his word. He never breaks a promise. 
That's the issue. If you're going to represent the Lord, well, then you better be ready when you make a covenant, when you make a promise. And guys, how many times do we go over that chapter? If you vow a singular vow, keep your vow. That's the issue. God says, listen, don't do this and break your vow because that's not the kind of person that I am. That's not the kind of person you should be as my priests. God hates that. Don't ever let it. Now, please, I understand. We were sitting here with folks who've probably gone through that. It doesn't mean you're washed up and used out. You have to say, Lord, that was some point in my life. I'm not proud of it, but thank the Lord you forgive me and use me every day. Amen? Because if it wasn't for that, none of us would be sitting here. Okay, because I've already blown it today. And I thank the Lord that he's a forgiver and wants to still use us. You know, you open one eyeball this morning and say, oh, I'm still here on the planet. I guess God's got plans for me. Amen. Move on to the next slide, please. Number six. And again, please, these are problems that God is pointing out that makes him upset. Okay, number, two, number six, accusing, uh, excusing sin. Look at you would at chapter 2, verse 17. Boy, if this doesn't sound familiar. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or, where is the God of judgment? Well, I'll tell you today, we are seeing over and over, and it's not the first time in history it's happened, but we're seeing it more and more where evil is called good in this world. Where things that we know are absolutely contrary to God's standards are held up as what should be done. And those of us who are holding to God's standard are called closed-minded, racist, because we want to hold to what God's truth is. And there's a lot of verses, guys, we'll go over when we talk about that. It, God warns us to beware of those who call good evil and evil good. God says, this is upsetting to me. But I want you to understand, this is God speaking to his children, the leadership of Israel, the priests, saying, you guys are calling those things which are evil good. And they're back talking. What do you mean? And God says, okay, we'll talk about what, you, what I mean. And we'll get there when we look at it. Number seven, refusing to repent. Look at chapter three, verse seven. Even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from my ordinances and not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye say, wherein shall we return? God says repent. Remember what repentance means? It's 180 degree. Okay, we talk about the prodigal son. Went out and did his own thing and then he came to his senses and returned. God's saying, listen, repent. Come back. I'm here. And their decision is, oh, what do you mean? Well, where should we come back to? Man, back talking God. Number Eight, one that probably is more familiar to a lot of Christians who have spent time in God's church because this is one where if uh, somebody's going to turn to Malachi, it's usually one or two verses, and this is one of them that people talk about. But God is very clear in this one. You can rob God. Okay, look at, if you would, to uh, verse 8 of chapter 3, 8 through 10. 
Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now, herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall be not be enough room to receive it. God says, try me, just see. But God says, listen, one of the things that has upset me about you as priests, my people, is you've robbed me. There are certain things that is mine, and you refuse to give it. And we'll talk about that. Number nine, they blasphemed God. Chapter 3, verse 13. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say... What have we spoken so much against thee? God says, be careful. You've blasphemed me. You've turned your words against me. Now, I don't know about you. Next part of this slide says, uh, in which one of these have we missed the mark? Because honestly, I don't think any of us can read down this list and know we haven't messed up in some of these places. Read them again because they're all not up there. Forgetting God's love, despising His name, not offering our best, having a complaining spirit, breaking the covenant of marriage, excusing sin, refusing to repent, robbing God, blaspheming His name. God says, uh, I'm writing you this book, my messenger, because you need to deliver a message to God's priests and say there's some things in this world that upset me. And it ought not to be amongst God's people. So we're going to look at, as we go through this book, aren't we so excited now? As God breaks down some of these areas in which he said, listen guys, um, we've got some problems we need to look up and deal with. It's time to house clean a little bit. So what do we do? What's the quick answer? I don't want to leave you hanging. Okay. Oh, we're a bunch of clowns. Amen. Let's go home. Okay, God says a couple of things. And we'll go into these a little deeper because it's, it's amazing. God doesn't just make an accusation. He gives us some goals. He gives us some answers. But here's two real important ones. Number one, fear the Lord. Look at verse 16, chapter 3. Then they that fear the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written for them that feared the Lord and thought upon his name. I like this. And we, I put a couple points here. And some of this is because we were just going over this in Job, those who were studying on a Wednesday night, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That a healthy, honest fear. I, and again, I don't necessarily mean just respect. Sometimes it's translated that. Well, you ought not to fear God. <laughs> There's an old preacher who preached a message called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Okay? Um, I love my dad. I respect my dad. When I was a child, I had a great respect for my dad. But I also had a healthy fear of my dad. 
You know, when mom would say, wait till your father gets home. Okay? And mom, when she disciplined, we had a wooden spoon drawer. And I think my mother did this on purpose. I don't know how she pulled it off. But that drawer made the most god-awful sound you'd ever hear in your life when you opened it. It was like, yeah, 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 yeah. You knew she was reaching for that wooden spoon. Okay? Anyway, you could be three blocks away. And you knew mom opened that drawer. Okay? Dad was the other end of it. Dad, it was that really eerie sound, sort of wispy with little snaps of a belt coming out of belt loops. That all of a sudden, that respect for your father took on a whole new meaning. There was a healthy fear of the Lord because, or fear of dad because he was going to exact some um, discipline on the hindquarters. Guys, you know what helps us? in some of these areas where we disappoint God and he gets upset with us, remember that we need to have a fear of the Lord. Again, this weird world we live in in Christianity where people get to get up and say, oh, well, God just wants me to be happy. That's what he wants. Okay, I'll just live my life. As long as I'm happy and blessed, then that's good. And I'm telling you, there are large churches who are represented on the television and on radio and on the computer, that that's their focus. God just wants to bless you. He wants you to be happy. He wants you just everything gushy, gushy. Listen, the problem is sin is excused and behaviors get let slide by when you don't have an honest fear of the Lord. God says, number one, I have a fear of God. Okay, I'm telling you, if I'm driving 70 miles an hour down 12A, I've got a healthy fear if a car comes by with lights on the top. You know what I'm talking about. The foot comes up, you start easing on the brake, you know, because you don't want him seeing the car jerk forward because he knows you were pleased. Listen, we do that in human, right? Your doctor showing up going, uh, so, you've been taking your medicines regularly? Um, you know, there's certain people in our life we, we have a healthy respect for because they know they're probably going to chew us out. Well, double that and say, that's the kind of attitude we should have before our God. When he's bringing up these nine points where they were screwing up, they ought to just remember that God expects better. Other part is, second part of what we do, verse, chapter 1, verse 2, remember, and I love the fact that God calls out all these problems and difficulties and areas that were upsetting God, but the first thing that he says in this book Right, he says, a burden of uh, the word of the Lord to, uh, to Israel by Malachi. First four words, I have loved you. Talk about setting a wonderful tone. God says, listen, you've got problems we're going to deal with. And, and again, we listed quite a few of them. But God's first words out of his mouth were, I have loved you. He's not just some force in this world waiting to pop us on top of the head because we violated his word. He's not like some of these, you know, Marvel movies who take gods and make them just regular human beings who can screw up and who, you know. God loves us. That is why he created us. That is why he 
put up with the fact that we would be sinners. That is why he sent a Savior to deliver us from our sin. That is why he continues to show mercy to us every single day, even though we have lists of things that upset him. God loves us. Number one, respect him. Have a healthy fear. But please remember that all the things that he does in our lives is because he loves us. I love the fact that he's almighty Jehovah God, Elohim, you know, Jehovah Sitkenu, and all those wonderful names he has, but he chose to call himself my father because he loves me and he loves you. Keep those two things in mind. Because why do we do the things we do if you're doing it right? If you're in a proper relationship, you don't do things to someone because you're trying to make them love you. You do things for someone because you love them. So why do we, shouldn't we do these things? Number one, we've got a healthy fear of God because he is the judge. And I love that last one where he talks about, where is the God of judgment? Meaning because God's merciful in letting us get away with this, we think it's okay. We need to have a healthy fear. But number two, we ought to be doing these things because we understand how much he loves us. And we ought to be treating him that way because we love him. There's some certain things you go up in my office and in some areas I have some, a little thing that Lydia made for me when she was like three. You know, and I love you, Dad, and it's like a big D with A-D-D-Y down here. You know, she didn't even put it in order. It's all over the paper and everything, you know. And uh, when you look at it, you're going, oh, yeah, okay, there's the, this letter is supposed to be here so you can translate it in, in kindergarten language. But you know what? That thing may not have been a Picasso it may not have been uh, grammatically correct, but it was an absolute offering of love from a pure heart. And that thing means so much, not because it was perfect, not because it was without mistake, but because it was an offering of love. Guys, if we can understand, we could change these behaviors in our lives because we love him. I love this. Starts out this book with rebukes in it, with the phrase, I have loved you. Man, how awesome is that? So, do I have anything else? No, that was it. So there's the overview. There's where we're headed. But I please, um, if there's an area in your life you need to fix, that you're low and Lord, yeah, I understand some of the things in my life upset you. And I'm, Lord, I don't want to be a person who's not representing you. I don't want to be one of these crooked priests who say one thing and not living by the word of God. I don't want to be a fake believer who pretends to be a Christian with some insincere faith or some ungenuine love. And I certainly don't want to be a backtalker. Man, I can remember as a teenager some of the things I used to say to my parents, and it's amazing I'm still alive. Well, wherein have we done this? Man, I'm surprised my father just didn't backhand me across the world. My God loves me, and he loves you too. So let's